Welcome to the Great Lakes Horror Company. This is Andrew Robertson. And today on the show, we have Horror Writers Association Ontario chapter member Brian Clement. Brian, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm happy to be here. So Brian is a filmmaker, an author, and recently became co-creator of a comic book that's available in print and online. I think maybe we'll do this um, in order of appearance. So let's start by talking about uh, about your films. Uh, I understand you moved from Vancouver to Toronto before you became a part of HWA Ontario. So maybe you can walk us through those early days when you were a filmmaker and how you became a part of the Horror Writers Association. Sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, it wasn't actually Vancouver. It was Victoria, the capital of BC, close to Vancouver. So it's, it's common confusion, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I lived there for uh, most of my life and uh, you know, it, it, except for a brief stint where I lived in Japan for a year. Um, I, I lived there and I uh, made a lot of um, low budget uh, films in my spare time. Some of them went direct to DVD when DVD was still a thing before video on demand took over. Um, I made a movie called meat market and uh with uh, the help of my co-writer Nick Sheehan, we uh, managed to get distribution for it, and then it sort of snowballed, and we made a sequel, and uh, made a cannibal movie, and made a bunch of other sort, bunch of other low-budget horror movies, and uh, kept rolling. And, and I was doing about a feature a year up until about 2007, and then I moved to uh, Toronto. I sort of wanted to expand my canvas a little bit, and uh, <clears throat> um, moved out here, did some short films, did a web series, and then uh, wrote my first novel in about 2009 and kept working on it and re-editing it until I finally submitted for publication and I got it uh, accepted by Damnation Books and they released it in late 2013. And uh, once that was released, I decided to uh, join the Horror Writers Association. I saw their booth at a fan expo and they gave me all the information and I seemed uh, seemed like the sort of thing that I could get into. And uh, they accepted me because I had some paid published work as well as the novel. And uh, uh, since then, I've just been going to all the meetings and hanging out and meeting people. And uh, it's been a lot of fun. So before we get into conventions and, and those types of connections, um, it seems from the conventions that I've been to and being a part of the horror scene, the, the sort of low budget uh, B movie is incredibly popular. What do you attribute the popularity of, of that specific genre of horror movie to? Um, I would say that uh, the low budget um, and I guess the, the lack of restrictions from a studio system or um, a bigger, I guess, more mainstream picture that has to, I guess, um, be more subservient to uh, market demands, um, it can kind of go outside of boundaries and do things that uh, traditional mainstream films won't do. And it will give a lot of horror fans what they're looking for in terms of really pushing the envelope, doing strange and crazy things. Uh, People who want more gore can find it there, uh, want more extreme situations can find it there. Um, and just the, the bizarre stories that you'll find. Um, I think a lot of a lot of people really also like the rawness of them too. They like they like the that that it's made by these crazy enthusiasts who are also fans, and that uh, that really plays into it. Rather than studio pictures or you know bigger budget movies, which um, have a bit more of a commercial feel to them. I think that's true because uh, if you talk to a lot of indie filmmakers in the horror genre, they've all got their own recipe for blood. You know, the the cheapest way to make the best looking on-screen blood or the best way to create, you know, an, an artificial skin or a prosthetic that's going to fall off. Um, when you were making your films, did you have did you have any challenges in terms of uh, the gore or the horror elements that you had to overcome that you guys found like a quick fix on that maybe you can share with some of the people listening? 
Um, I mean, a lot of uh, early on, I did some of the gore myself, but I, I had so many people helping me out doing the prosthetics and the effects and things that I wasn't as involved. I mean, uh, I guess one of the things that we did do, which was a really fun effect that uh, Nick, Nick Sheehan, the co-writer of Meat Market, came up with and that I had been using ever since was to make these fake intestines um, out of uh, stockings, like cheap nylon stockings and uh, crumpled up uh, newspaper or paper towels inside. And then we would uh, soak them in flour and water mixture and then uh, squeeze them out and twist them and uh, uh, dry them out and hang them to dry until they're until they're uh, sort of crusty and hard and then soak them in fake blood and uh, kind of crack them up a bit and so that that would look kind of like veins and it would it, would, it made for a really good uh, cheap and simple on-screen uh, intestines effect <laughs> So like a horrible paper mache. <laughs> <laughs> In a way, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess you could say that. You know what? Whatever works. I mean, it's it's great. If anybody wanted to check out your films, are they available online? Is there somewhere they can access them, or is that something that they're going to have to wait for? Uh, well, no. the The early ones were distributed by SRS Cinema. Um, I believe they do still offer them. Uh, I'm not sure if they have them video on demand. I know that they did. They were selling them on DVD. Um, they were selling off the remainder of their stock a few months ago. I don't know if they have any left. And they actually did a limited run of uh, Meat Market 1 and 2 recently um, in collector's edition VHS, which I found bizarre because I didn't realize that anyone still bought VHS, but apparently people do. So they did a, a collect- like a, a limited run of VHS and, and they sold them out. So, <laughs> I'd Actually, at uh, Dark Carnival in Hamilton uh, recently, the Room Org event, they had an entire booth of VHS. And, uh, you know, it, it, it had... Uh, moments where it was very popular and then some quiet hours. So I think there's those avid collectors out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's hard to find a VCR though. My fear always is I put something in the VCR and it's going to come out all just chewed to shit. Cause they're <laughs> yeah, all so old now. The VHS tapes quite have the nostalgic appeal of uh, vinyl. Um, they don't, they just, they, they lack the sort of aesthetic quality. I think that uh, music on vinyl would, um, but I guess, you know, people want that nostalgia. So they go back to it. Um, I think some of the, the later films that I did are also available from Crypt Keeper Films in the UK. Uh, I don't know if they, they're still selling them or what happened to that company at all. So <laughs> I, I lost touch with them a few years ago. I, I think what we'll do is, is I'll do a bit of research there. And if the films are available, I'll post it to the Great Lakes Horror Company Facebook. And, uh, and if people are interested, they can search those down. So now let's, uh, let's talk about books. So your first book, yeah. The Final Transmission, uh, a mix of sort of occult crime thriller uh for Mm. for for the listeners that aren't familiar with it can you give them a a bit of an elevator pitch about the book and then maybe (laughs) speak a bit about the sequel that's coming sure yeah the i mean i guess the original concept came about when i uh, went to see uh with my good friend karen kehoe we saw the movie uh, the x-files um i I think it was uh not fight the future the the second x-files film uh, I want to believe. And uh, we were so disappointed in it that I decided to write a screenplay that contained similar elements to what I liked about the original X-Files series. So that would be, you know, crime investigation and serial killers and mutant creatures and the occult. Um, and uh, I wrote the screenplay uh, years and years ago, and then I rewrote it as a novel. And I guess the, the, the driving force of the plot is that there's a detective in Toronto who investigates occult murders. He thinks there, there is a cult engaging in human sacrifice and that someone is hunting down the cult. He thinks it's a vigilante or a serial killer. And it turns out it's actually uh, a sort of a, an assassin for a secret society that's been secretly at war with this cult. And the secret society is pulling the strings behind all these business and government operations. And they have, a, they have their own sort of private military force uh, 
and the cult is attempting to unleash mutations across the city and across the world, while, while the secret society is preparing to unleash uh, a terrifying uh, nanotechnology bioweapon that will not only destroy the mutations, but wipe out a large number of the human population and make, make the world easier to conquer for them. So he's, she's on, he's stuck in between these two sides, fighting both, both forces. And the, the sequel uh, takes place 20 years after the first. Is that right? That's right. Yeah. It takes place a couple decades later and the whole world has changed considerably and it follows one of the characters uh, from the first book. I don't want to spoil it, but um, it's one of the, you know, younger characters in the first book grown to adulthood, who's not exposed to how the world has changed. And so he goes out into the world after being isolated for two decades and sees how everything has changed and how the world has become completely different. And he ends up hooking up with the, this bodyguard who's been hired by a secret organization and the bodyguard, she doesn't even realize that she, she's actually one of the characters from the first book, but she's been mutated and she's, she doesn't have any memory of her human existence. So they for, together they have to go out into this sort of strange new world and battle these uh, cult forces and 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 uh, cyborgs and mutants and and strange creatures and travel ac- across a wasteland and they have to find these special objects of power that will allow them to interface with this giant uh, artificial intelligence and help them to keep it from um, wiping out the human population. I think it's very ambitious, and that's that's what I like <laughs> about it. It well, I mean, it it combines a lot of different genres. It's a genre bender. I mean, you've got the sort of futurist, uh, you know, the the post apocalyptic. You've got horror. You've got crime and thriller in there. So I think it it could appeal to a wide population. Um, so that's through Damnation Books, or you can check it out and order it directly through Brian's website, which is brianclement.com. Uh, there's that's a book, right. there's a book section over there. Um, speak to me a bit about the site that you built for Final Transmission, and you used your film background to create an entire trailer for the book. So can you speak to me a bit about the decision to do that, and um, and what, what some of the benefits are of sort of creating a visual companion to promote a print work? Well, I guess it's, a, it's sort of a double-edged sword, because you want the reader to be able to use their imagination uh, as much as possible and fill in the blanks of how people and situations and scenes look. But at the same time, I, I thought it was a good promotional tool to use my film background to create uh, a, a, just a, a very simple trailer that has some very simple scenes of uh, characters that might be featured in the book um, and sort of rig it up with some nice cinematic lighting and use some of the props and costumes I have lying around from old films. And we've, you know, we managed to put together something that looked pretty decent. Um, I've heard from other authors that book trailers don't really work for them, but I think that in, you know, in my case, it wasn't so much a, uh, the case of uh, hoping that it would sell the book you know, that much more so much as it was kind of a fun thing to do that could, I guess, help further the the cause of, of this sort of director turned author and people could see it and say, Oh, this is what he's doing now. And this is, you know, where his imagination is going. So I think that, that, it was just a natural evolutionary process for me. I, I'm actually surprised to hear that some authors think that it doesn't work for them because I think it's it's a great sort of shareable vehicle, especially when so much of what we all do becomes part of this uh, social media online hive mind. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I mean, because how- I mean, sorry, I was just going to say, ebooks have taken over so much that because of uh, because of the whole online presence, you need that kind of viral marketing push just to be able to share something and show people and then say, hey, here's the ebook. It's only a dollar or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, 
I think it's something that people can definitely explore more. I think there's always a, a lot of room for creativity in in the space that we all work in. Yeah. Um, and I, I think every writer to a certain point wants the audience to make up their own mind about what the person really looks like and what the rooms look like and, you know, it, it, the whole environment that you've created for them, the whole world. But at the same time, seeing your work become living, moving, breathing, um, there's, there's excitement to that as well. So I, I think yeah. there's, you know, there's two arguments there. Now, speaking of cults, as, <laughs> as an author that's written about cults and mutant communities and genetically engineered assassins and monsters, <laughs> what, what do you think is the draw that consistently brings thriller writers, horror writers, uh, and, and even sci-fi Back to the idea of an underground cult, like a dark secret society. What obsesses us as a society with that? Well, I think that it's it's the idea that behind this normal facade of normalcy in our regular everyday life, there's these dark, shadowy things happening. And maybe your neighbor, who looks, by, for all intents, a normal person, or you know, the person down the street who's walking their dog, or even a family member, might be engaged in some horrible, terrifying practice in their spare time when they're you know not in your line of sight. So I think that that's kind of a, that's definitely a frightening thought for people that I guess just behind this um, normal world we live in, maybe something scary is happening. Now, speaking of cults, let's talk about the horror writers association. So you, (laughs) (laughs) you, uh, you moved to Toronto, you, uh, you were doing your work, you discovered HWA. How did it, so you said you were at a convention, you saw them there, you know, you signed up and and became a part of it. Um, Mm -hmm. But you've been a part of the HWA for a while. So I just wanted to ask, what, what are some of the benefits that you've seen to being a part of the organization um, and the whole participation through HWA in convention life and Comic-Con life? Uh, I think networking is definitely the biggest. Um, I mean, I've met so many new people, made so many new friends, uh, going to the meetings even. But uh, I guess getting access to the conventions is a huge one because uh, especially the larger fan expo or larger conventions that we do a table at, uh, I wouldn't normally get my own table just because it's so expensive. I would never be able to sell enough merchandise. But if we're doing a promotional table for the Horror Writers Association, then I still get to go to the convention, see the sites, do a little bit of promotion for myself, and you know do that work for the for the Horror Writers Association. Um, so I, I, I don't get quite all the benefits of my own table, but at the same time, it costs me a lot less money. Uh, it just costs me the time to volunteer and, and do put a little work in. Uh, what are some of the more positive experiences that you've had at conventions, because I think in a, in a future show, we're going to be talking about convention life and everything that comes with it. I mean, it's, it's a bizarre, weird, wonderful world. It's got, it's got its ups and downs and they're killer hours to participate, participation in a convention. Um, but I think there's, there's a lot of benefits in terms of the FaceTime. So for yourself as a writer, uh, what have been some of the good experiences that you've had in that environment? Uh, I guess, Working tables, um, just having people recognize me or ask about my work or um, get really excited when they hear about what I'm working on or writing or even when they take a look at my book and they ask me to sign it. I mean, that's that's just so thrilling, not not to be put on a pedestal, but just to have other people want to be engaged with my imagination. I find that, you know, such a such a an exciting concept and idea that people are interested in what I what my imagination is generated. Um, 
at just an, a qu- really quick, simple example. I mean, we did recently another one of the horror writers tables. We had ghost cats buttons at the table and people were so thrilled to see them. One woman took away the buttons and she, she kept saying ghost cats, ghost cats as she was walking away. She was so excited <laughs> about them. Um, I mean, a lot of credit obviously goes to Aaron, the artist, but just, just seeing that reaction was just, was so fulfilling for me. I, I actually have had the same experience, uh, watching an HWA table in your absence and people reacting really well to the ghost cats <laughs> art. Uh, we had the buttons in, in purple and blue and it's, it's a very simple accessible design. It really bounces out at people and, uh, and people really like cats. So <laughs> let's, let's segue to that. So people love sure. cats and cats are really big in horror. Um, <laughs> so first of all, why ghost cats? And second of all, why are people in horror obsessed with cats? Well, I guess it, it has a lot to do with this uh, mythological uh, attachment that cats have because they've been so, for so long, been part of myths and legends. And I guess the, the, the way cats were worshipped in ancient Egypt or they're, uh, I guess, considered familiars of, of witches in, in Europe. Um, the weird sort of aloof look they have on their face all the time that makes you think they're scheming or plotting or they, uh, they have something going on behind those eyes. Um, when maybe that's not really true, but um, I think people get, get something out of that. They want to put something behind the scheming look of the cat and, and put something behind it and make it seem more sinister than when really the cat is all only thinking about food or rubbing against your leg or something. Yeah. Um, <laughs> So I guess Ghost Cats came from Erin, Erin Westendorf. She's the artist. And she had been posting these these uh, paintings she was doing on Instagram um, of women who were holding up their severed head or pulling open a chest to reveal their organs and these ghostly cats were floating behind them. And I started texting her saying, Erin, you know, you need to make a comic out of these characters. They're so cool. They would have such a huge appeal. And she says, no, I don't want to do that. You know, why don't you make a comic book? I can't do that. And I said, well, I'll write something. How about I write something and then you draw it? And she said, okay, well, go ahead and write something. So I wrote a script right away and I sent it to her. And she was so excited that we got to work on it. And we started working on, the, you know, similar to what I do, because we'd never, neither of us had ever done a comic before. I did something similar to what I do with film. So we decided to storyboard it, come up with a shot list and, you know, figure out what all the panels would be in the comic book. We went back and forth and brainstormed and, and collaborated and decided, you know, which panels do we need, which panels can we throw away? And then she sketched it all out. And I said, you know, here's maybe let's make this change or make this a little more clear. And then she inked and painted the whole thing. And that was how issue one went. And we were, you know, just rolling along. And we, we kept going with the second issue and we did our, our book launch uh, really recently, just in, in Vancouver for both the first two issues. So for, um, for anyone interested in checking out ghost cats, what's the website and where can they, uh, I know there's, there's a web comic, uh, that's, that's a part of the website, but where can they get an actual physical issue? Can they order it through the website? Yeah, you can go on ghostcats.ca and we have a link there to the store, which is ghostcats.ticktail.com and, uh, Aaron's operating the store. Um, she has a lot of the stock right now. And if people want to just check out the web comics, we have them up on our Instagram, um, which is at ghost cats comic, uh, or they're just on the main site, which is ghostcats.ca. And of course people can buy the physical comic if they want. Um, if we have a table at a convention, we're doing one at, uh, to fan Expo Vancouver, and we're trying to get into Kansas Vancouver and Toronto. Uh, we'll know sometime in the, in the, in the later in the summer. 
and uh, we want to have the some Ghost Cats comics at the Horror Writers uh, booth at Fan Expo in September here in Toronto. So, give our listeners a sense of the content of Ghost Cats. What are some of the adventures, the themes, you know, without giving away too much, because uh, it seems pretty diverse. I mean, I'm looking at the website right now, and there's... Uh, there's a poor diver that appears to have crabs and the cat checking him out. And there's a couple of lightning fish or angler fish rather, uh, and some treasure, you know, always, yeah, always so, good I mean, to the, have the website, um, the web comics are, are just very simple. We, you know, we call them mini comics or mini adventures just because they're really simple, not really more than four panels. It's just the ghost cats in a simple situation. There's no dialogue. So they'll maybe be floating through the trees or they'll be experiencing different seasons or they'll be visiting a cemetery or going to a punk rock show and just experiencing these things just because it's, it's funny to have these ghost cats in these situations. Uh, whereas the, the, the actual print comics are more complicated. So there's an, there's a real story where they'll meet somebody who's sad or lonely or going through something strange or, the ghost cats are haunting this person and the person gets really frustrated and angry and the ghost cats will get into kind of an adventure and either, you know, they'll maybe help the person. And the, the, the comics so far, the first two issues haven't really been so much scary as a little bit more sad and melancholy. And there's definitely a horror influence, especially in the second issue where the cats are kind of haunting somebody and he's trying to rid them rid them of get them out of his house and and using all these occult methods to get rid of them but it doesn't work um and then the third issue we want to do is going to be more of an anthology of the web comics and the fourth issue is supposed to be our halloween issue and that's going to be very horror influenced so have you had a cat have you had a pet cat in the past or aaron is that where any of this came from aaron aaron currently has two cats henry and pepin and i have no cats but uh i had cats when i was a child um, it, the it, family cats. And so, um, all our cats are thanked in the back of the, of the first ghost cats issue. <laughs> Have any of them come back to haunt you? <laughs> Not me. No, but Aaron has some funny stories. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to talk to her. <laughs> um, so tell me about Aaron and how people can check out her work because she's pretty much an equal partner in this endeavor. Um, yeah. and people have reacted really favor- favorably from what I've seen to her artwork and the stories and, and the sort of idea behind it. It's a really mm-hmm. sort of bold, crazy, great idea. Um, how did you meet her? What does she do? Where can people check out her work online? Uh, well, we've been friends. Um, we knew each other on the West coast. We've been friends for uh, over 10 years now, uh, maybe 13 years, I'd say actually. Um, and we, we got closer because after I moved out here, we were pen pals writing letters back and forth. And then uh, we just text each other back and forth all the time, talk about everything. I'll visit when I'm out there. And, and because of ghost cats, it's drawn us a little closer together and we've been collaborating on this thing. Um, and she has been painting and working photography for a long time. Uh, her work is online at Erin.com. That's A-R-I-N-N. And um, she's got uh, portfolios of all her photography and artwork and paintings there. Um, and uh, yeah, so it, ghost cats was, was really kind of, her baby that I just kind of nurtured and helped along. I was, I was more like, I've, I've described it like this. If we were a band, I would be the drummer and she's the lead singer and lead guitarist. <laughs> the drummers were always the crazy ones. Are you the crazy one? <laughs> <laughs> I probably am. I'm the one that comes up with the crazy ideas for what the ghost cats should do. <laughs> <laughs> she just draws them and, and blames any content issues on you. <laughs> Is that how it works? <laughs> Um, so where can, uh, where can people see you next in, in your travels? 
Uh, well, I'm going to be working the Horror Writers booth um, at the Fan Expo in Toronto in September and hoping, like I said, to do Canzine in Vancouver and Toronto, which is at the end of October and the beginning of November. And then we will also be, Aaron and myself, will we'll be working, uh, doing Ghost Cat stuff at uh, Fan Expo Vancouver. Um, I believe it's the Remembrance Day weekend of November. Fantastic. Well, Brian, thank you very much for joining us on the Great Lakes Horror Company today. Oh, thank you. And uh, for any of you out there that want to check out Brian's work, you can find him at brianclement.com. If you are in the mood to experience some ghostly, ghastly cats, you can check them out at ghostcats.ca. And uh, the next place that you can find Great Lakes Horror Company and the Horror Writers Association Ontario chapter will be at Fan Expo Canada, uh, Toronto edition. So that's fanexpocanada.com. That takes place on Labor Day weekend. We'll be there every day. We are going to have uh, several panels taking place. Uh, Brian Clement is one of our guests. Uh, we have other guests, including Sephora Giron, Zombie Zach, Kelly Armstrong. So it's going to be a very exciting uh, series of panels. And you can also find us at Word on the Street, which happens on September 27th in Toronto. Find us on Twitter at GL Horror Podcast. Uh, and you can also find us on Facebook at the Great Lakes Horror Company. As always, thank you for listening. And, uh, and you all have a great evening. <laughs>